professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Warrior. What's going on, guys? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back. Episode number 37. But if you've been with me since day one, you know this is episode number 100. I never thought I'd get here. I pressed record on that very first episode coming up on a year ago. Could have never anticipated everything that's happened. But before we go any further, I'm going to try to hold it together. I have to wish my daughter, Brooklyn, a very happy 13th birthday. Today, Brooklyn celebrates her 13th birthday and... 
Uh, my dad's coming on. I'm sure we're going to talk about the day she was born and what that was like. I was playing major junior hockey. I was the only guy in the Western Hockey League probably having a kid that year. And uh, that was only the beginning. Uh, and, you know, it was a blessing, but it was hard. There's a picture of Brooklyn and Brody. Me and Brooklyn, this is my favorite picture of all. And so it's been way too long since I've seen my kids, but I'm over a year clean now and I'm never going to give up. I had her on skates a day after she could walk. Check this out. That's when I was playing with the Victoria Salmon Kings. Poor little thing could barely walk and her dad had her on skates. Bob skates. My dad actually told me to get these and if you could look at her feet, her feet were too small. They're coming out of the skates. So Brooklyn J, happy birthday. I love you. I miss you like crazy. And it's St. Patrick's Day. I have my green, it's okay to be not okay shirt on. We got the St. Patty's wreath above the picture that was kindly drawn from my friend in Germany. Got the original, which was a great gift. Thank you so much. Uh, if you've been with me for this entire last year, thank you so, so, so much. I just, there's no words. I, I was down and out. I'm not going to lie. My dad's probably going to touch on that too. There was absolutely uh, nothing short of a miracle was going to bring me back from the dead. And I don't really, I don't have an answer. What happened? What exactly? Why? Or anything special that I've done other than the fact that I decided to get honest. I took a chance with the podcast and everybody that supported me right from day one, or if you're a new listener, I, I owe you guys so much. You guys tune in. You listen to me. I don't have any professional experience with pretty much anything. And your continued support is what keeps me going. And I also want to say hello to Brody back in BC as well. Uh, man, I can't even go there right now. It, it It's just one of these things that I've had to almost tune out over this past year. But now it's time for me to face it head on. I'm doing some things behind the scenes to get my kids back in back in my life and I don't know what that looks like uh, because now they're at that age where oops I'm pressing buttons here uh, they're at that age where they can kind of make their own decision and I just have to keep one foot in front of the other doing the right thing and hope for the best and I know going back to my old ways is uh, a sure way to never uh, have them a part of my life so uh, I just want to before we get into it uh, this silver plaque over here that you can't see because it's etched in, just so you guys know, this is this plaque right here, the Matthew Lazinski Memorial Plaque. Um, we were building a studio last year, people have asked, and some things have happened that's no longer uh, in the works, but something that you know is still very near and dear to my heart. Everywhere I record a podcast is the Matthew Lazinski Memorial Studio. If you could see behind me, tonight we have Derek Bugard, Remembering Derek Bugard tonight, um, every podcast, we're going to have a new individual uh, from our picture of Never Forget here at Puck Support uh, behind me while I'm doing this. And, uh, you know, I've said it many times. I should be in that picture. I'm very grateful that I'm not. <sighs> and sometimes I just don't know why. Why am I still here and, and others are not? And I want to give you guys an update on Kevin Kerbison. Unfortunately, you guys watched the last podcast. I literally got the news that he missed his flight like three and a half minutes before I was having Michael Landsberg on, and it was a, a tough blow. It's been a tough couple days for, for me to take it all in. I know it's been a tough couple days for him and the family, uh, but the plan is for him to get on a plane tomorrow. So fingers crossed. 
I know how hard it is. I have no expectations. And if he doesn't get on that plane, we're going to readdress it and see what we can do with the funds that have been raised uh, to either continue supporting Kevin or to support somebody that needs help because I'm getting so many messages. You guys have no idea. People that need to go to treatment, want to go to treatment, are in treatment right now. So if you're one of those individuals that's in treatment, you guys know who you are. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of each and every one of you guys are doing the right thing, not only for you, but for your life, for your family members, you make it a lot easier. We know being in treatment is the first step. What comes next is the next. But your first step right now is to focus on where you're at and just put one foot in front of the other. Uh, you guys know who you are. I have three, three friends in treatment right now. Actually, four. I just got a message. I forgot. Four in treatment right now. So you guys know who you are. I'm not going to out you other than uh, Wazantio Stacy, who I did mention on the last podcast. Shout out to him out in Quebec. I'm going to get him on the podcast. Former University of Vermont NCAA one hockey player with a story much like mine. I'm not alone. He's not alone. We've covered a lot of these individuals and sadly, there's a lot of people still struggling. So don't give up. Do whatever you need to do for yourselves. Go to treatment, ask for help, never give up on yourselves. And if you have a loved one that's addicted or uh, currently going through mental illness, don't give up on them. I know it's hard. I know there was times when my dad had to walk away from me. I forced his hand. My mom, same thing. Uh, at the end of the day, it, it came up to me. And what was I going to do to get myself the help that I needed? And now you're going to see what's happened uh, since I turned my life around. So again, I got to stop talking. I'm going to start crying. Before we go any further, though, uh, we got to cover a couple of sponsors, uh, so let's do that. I know this is a longer intro than usual. I want to get my dad in here right away, but uh, take it away, Regan Bartell. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissue.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you, Regan. I love I love me some Regan Bartel. Best in the business. Shout out to Jesse Paradise out there in Manitoba. I love Team Issued. I'm telling you, my entire wardrobe is either puck support or Team Issued. And I've said this many times. When I got out of jail, I had one pair of jeans that Taylor bought me, one T-shirt, a borrowed hoodie, and jail shoes. I'm no, no joke. And Jesse was one of the first ones that really gave me a box of new clothes. So thank you, Jesse. For I'm forever grateful for your early support. And I just love what you're doing out there. Teamissue.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15. One more sponsor, and we'll save the last one for the end. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com 
That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to everybody over there at Pride Tape. I talked to Jeff uh, last early last week, and what a great guy. Offered to help out with puck support. Uh, funny story about Pride Tape. They started more as a marketing campaign. Uh, the, the founders of Pride Tape, they work at an ad ag- agency, and they explained to me like this. They're working off the side of their desk, and this was more or less just something that they thought of that they didn't realize it was going to go that far. You can see my tape or my stick is always going to have pride tape on the knob, standing for equality, not only in hockey, but all of sports. We're going to give away a roll of pride tape uh, at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. Uh, Will McIntyre was our uh, second winner. David Carlson, uh, my friend out in Edmonton, who I'm sure is probably watching, uh, won one as well, and he's already got his uh, in the mail, along with... Uh, an apron that I sent him. I was hoping I was going to have a picture of him in it for tonight's episode, but a custom puck support apron to show my appreciation to David Carlson, who's been with me since virtually day one. David, thank you. Uh, Much, much appreciated. Uh, Hello to Dean, Aubrey, and Jeff, and everybody at Pride Tape, and Curtis Gabriel, San Jose Shark. Keep up the good work, man. Lots of love to you down there in San Jose. Uh, Proud of you, man. All right, guys, you guys know how this goes. We'll see you in like eight minutes. I know this is long. We're going to cut all this down, but I couldn't shorten it. I could have talked for two hours on this one, and we'll see you guys in a few minutes. Well, today marks the 100th episode of my very own podcast journey. I'm coming up on one year that I first pressed record sitting in Taylor's mom's car with a borrowed computer and absolutely no plan, no vision, and not a single guest lined up. Aside from this being my 100th episode, it's also a very special day as it's my daughter Brooklyn's 13th birthday. And though a lot of great things have happened over this last year, the one thing that I've wanted more than anything has yet to happen a relationship with my kids, Brooklyn and Brody. Not only have I become estranged from them, so have my parents as well, including my dad. And I know it's been hard on everybody, but most importantly, them. They're the ones who have really missed out because my dad's an incredible guy. I'm 33 years old and when my dad was 33, my mom left. My dad was left to be a single parent to two kids, me and my older sister, Brittany, who's two years older than me. Growing up, I knew that my dad had it tough, but I never fully understood the magnitude of everything that he was going through and all the sacrifices he was making. As a firefighter of the North Vancouver district, he would work double shifts, hang back for guys, and also at times work extra so he could get those days off so he could not only coach my hockey, but my sister's baseball and other things like taking her to the barn because yes, she had a horse. In which I've said this, my dad would trick me to shovel horse crap to get forearms and muscles like Bobby Hall. That was my ticket to the big time. I don't even need to tell you how that turned out, but honestly, I have fond memories of being with my dad wherever we were. My earliest memories of being with my dad are at Parent and Todd in Port Coquitlam Rec Center, just him and me on the ice, just playing around, 
him just letting me be myself as he always did. My dad had really no idea that I'd been sexually abused and I don't think anybody really did. It just was all chopped up to my mom leaving around the same time and my attitude shift, my anger shift. Everybody blamed it on that. And the truth was nobody knew except for me and the guy who had abused me. I've often thought that if my dad was around, if he was there, that maybe it wouldn't have happened. But there's no sense wondering about the what ifs. And my dad will be the first one to tell you that. I always lived my life, well, what if this? What if that? My dad was always calm, cool, and collected, telling me just to move on, stay focused on now, reminding me that no matter how hard we try, the past can never be changed. And it's taken until recently for me to fully understand that. I don't want to dive into all the stories, and honestly, we don't have enough time. But my dad has been to hell and back just as much or more so than me. Although I was a pretty good kid, I was a troubled kid on the ice. It caused my dad a lot of problems, and maybe we'll get into that again. I do want to talk about my challenges of playing in the Western Hockey League when I would call him threatening suicide, telling him how badly I wanted to leave. I want to ask him how much he really knows about what was going on. I know I sure didn't tell him. I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to let him down. I didn't really want to let anybody down. But in the end, I ended up not only letting myself down, but my dad, my family, and everybody that I knew. My dad went from driving me to the rink or dropping me off at airports to follow my childhood dream of playing professional hockey to dropping me off at detox centers and dropping me off at rehabs. From there, it went from the detox and rehab centers to him combing the streets of Vancouver on the downtown east side on Hastings Street and in Wally in Surrey looking for his son who was homeless and addicted. I do honestly remember one time him driving down the strip in Surrey as they call it and I saw my dad driving and I did everything in my power for him not to see me. I didn't want him to see me in that light. I've never told him this but I remember distinctly him driving down the street and I saw him. He was looking, he was scouring and I just put my head down and kept walking. I instantly regretted it, but by that time I had so many outstanding charges. I had taken so much from him, so much from everybody. The last thing I wanted to do was face him because I knew how hurt he was. When all of that finally caught up to me and I was arrested, it took my dad one year to come visit me in jail. An entire year with no response, no correspondence, but he was there at my court appearance when I got sentenced. I had to sit back and listen to the judge disclose all the horrible things that I did, all the violent crimes, all the petty crimes, the drug dealing, you name it, I pretty much did it. And both my mom and my dad were there to listen to it all. And by the end of it, I had to stand up and plead guilty, apologize to my parents and the community, to the judge. And I really had to just accept where I was at. I was going away for two years, and it was a reality that I never thought I would have had to face. I'll never forget my dad's face when he finally came to see me in jail. Having to see him behind glass was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do in my entire life. My dad has always been my rock. The man that I looked up to, the man that I admired, the man that I really have more respect for than anybody else in the world. Though, he would be the last one to really know that by all the things that I did, and more importantly, the way that I treated him. But that's what addiction does. I'm not making excuses, but if I could take it all back, I would. But it goes back to what I was saying before. There's just nothing I can do to change the past. We can only change the future.
I can't tell you how many times my dad dropped me off at detox and rehab combined with that hopeless look in his face, just praying that this would be the time that I would finally get my life together. And the last time that I saw my dad in person was at the Vancouver airport when he put me on a plane out here to Ontario. I had given him a hug goodbye and I thought that he had left and I snuck into the bathroom to do my last fix before boarding the airplane. And that's when my dad came rushing in asking me what the hell I was doing in the bathroom. Clearly I was using drugs, but much like I was back then, I continued to lie through my teeth. And that was the last time I saw my dad and I'm very grateful that today I sit here clean and I will now have an opportunity to see him again. The facts are this, there's no way I should have ever been able to see my dad again once moving to Ontario with the amount of times I overdosed just in Ontario alone. I ended up in jail again out here. I know he was disappointed. He once again didn't talk to me and he was very reluctant when I started the podcast. But about a month or two in, he made me a deal. You make it to episode 50 and I will join you on your podcast. And so that now became a goal. And on the 50th episode, there was my dad. And even then at 50 episodes, our relationship wasn't the greatest. But today, I really feel like our relationship's taken that next step. We're able to talk. I feel like he trusts me a little bit, maybe not fully. And here we are 50 episodes later, and I'm still going strong. So who else to have on my 100th episode? It is a minor celebration but an accomplishment that I'm very proud of. And I anticipate I'm going to do a thousand more. There's no stopping. There's no end in sight. Just keep going forward, never looking back. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you guys my best friend, my role model, my mentor, my dad, Brian Levold. my favorite song what's going on dad uh busy day busy day congratulations on uh 100 shows yeah thanks i had to i had to rock out there for a minute so i didn't cry that's why i was doing that it was a deflection <laughs> um i'm just glad you were able to join me you got off the golf course i did get off the golf course i just finished uh watching the blades lose in overtime and now i'm watching the canucks beat ottawa so well i'm polishing up jason's golf clubs here i'm ready to take <laughs> you on so uh how's the golf game looking uh it's actually not bad should be i've yeah. been playing every week so must be year, so. must be nice that's what i was just telling jason he's like oh they're already on the golf course i'm like yeah i'm pretty sure he's been golfing all year out there so uh no that's great i'm glad before we go any further i'll show you i got a this really cool picture i, I don't know if you've golfed with with stewart but uh you sent me this picture today out on the golf course i've made a fowler that's what I said. I was like, it's not Ricky Fowler, it's Stuart Smith. So uh, really cool, Dad. Honestly, you know, these are your friends, fellow firefighters. I also got a picture of Tim Mills, you know, one of your best friends, another fireman, in puck support gear. I mean, you think back, you know, even a year ago, did you ever think that you would be seeing any of what you're seeing with me and what's going on? Uh, honestly, no, because uh, <laughs> you didn't really have any any direction or thoughts what you were going to do. It was. Like you said, you were out of a car uh, the first few shows and struggling to get guests and you had some some old friends come on and and then it's just built. Now you're you're up there with world class guests. But you know, that's why I'm surprised that I'm on here on your hundreds. You could have done better <laughs> than the 
than your dad who he comes on anytime although you yeah. did just let me know last night so yeah well you should have known better than that i mean come on 50 and then another 50 we kind of talked about that so it, it it just happened that way and i'm glad that it did and uh I'll, you know i didn't realize either honestly that you know when i pressed record it's coming up on a year ago i didn't have a plan i you actually told me not to do it because you know how many times that i tried anything and failed uh when i told you that were you scared that it was going to blow up and it was just one more thing for people to be like oh look what brady started and failed again i don't know if it was failure that i was afraid of it was just rehashing everything all the time and um you know, the newspapers do stories and, you know, you just had all the local papers out here a month or two ago and the local news hour, but they were kind of positive this time, but um, rehashing it all is hard, is hard on everybody. Well, yeah, and I want to ask you about that. So Global, you know, Travis Lowe did a great story out of uh, Global Okanagan. It was picked up on Global BC News Hour, which was kind of cool because it was Chris Galis and Sophie Louie, um, you know, who I've watched my entire life pretty much on Global News. So when I saw that, it was pretty cool uh, because the last time I was on Global News, I, I don't even know if I've told you this, but it was the day that I was the day after I was sentenced that I was talking about. And I remember uh, I was I was in jail. We had TVs in our cell back there and it was like, I was watching early morning news uh, and there's that ticker that goes along the bottom and it was just, I'm just watching it, not thinking anything. And then all of a sudden it's like former hockey pro Brady Lee, and it's going across the screen. And I thought I was dreaming and I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is so bad. I'm like, you know, and I felt bad for, for you guys, you know, mom and, and you and, and everybody, anybody that, would have had to answer those questions about like, wow, this. So how is it now even having to watch that story, knowing full well that I'm in a better place? Yes, they spun it positively, but was it still hard for you to sit back and watch that? Uh, no, it was kind of kind of cool to see that, uh, you know, when you're on the ice there with the kids and stuff, it was good and kind of turned things around. But uh, when you relive and, you know, the, the remand center is just down the street from our house. You know that, and you've talked about that before, but I drive by that just about every day, or I go by the rec center every day, and or I go by where you used to live, just in Poco, let alone when I go downtown, which I try to avoid, and I try to avoid Surrey. They're, well, they've cleaned it up a bit out there, but yeah. You well, should have hailed me down that day. Because yeah, I was I was always five bucks uh, behind you because that's what's the going rate rate for information for you. Five bucks. five bucks, and I'll tell you where he is. Wow, that's crazy! You never told me that. Uh, you know, I did. I I honestly I remember it. I can see it so vividly, and I wasn't doing very well that day. I mean, I was like down and out, and usually. I would have been my my mentality would have been like, hey, there's my dad. Maybe I can get. And honestly, I'm just speaking honest. Maybe I can get some money or something. But I was just in a place where it was like, you know what? Finally, it clicked in. I'm sitting there in Surrey, and people that don't know the the strip in Surrey, they don't know Hastings because they've never seen it. You can't even fully believe that there's a place like that in Canada, let alone North America, even the world mm -hmm. from third world countries. And so when I saw you driving down there. I, I felt so bad in that moment. And I just like, not for me, for you. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I've actually pushed my dad to, 
to be out here looking for me. And, and, you know, I should have, I should have hailed you down. Who knows what would have happened. You probably would have turned me into the police, but maybe that would have meant, maybe that would have only meant a year in jail instead of two. Not that it really mattered in the end anyways, but yeah, that was a, that's something that I've always kind of regretted and something that's lived with me and, and, you know, having, you know, being able to, you know, literally I, I turned my entire body and I was just like, no, like, you know, just put your head down and walk because you wouldn't recognize me anyways. I was like 160 pounds, look like death. And, uh, you know, I can't, I'm sorry for that. Like, really, I, I'm very sorry that you had to go through that. And I mean that, like, I, I wish I could take all of that back. And uh, what about downtown Vancouver? You, you were down there too. Yeah, I, you know, I was, Lots of people wanted to come help me, but I said, you know, it's you're not going to know them if you see them either. So a few times I had a couple buddies come from work, come with me and, you know, we're just literally rolling people over. As you know, there's people passed out or people, people dead down in the alleys and stuff. So it got uh, a little redundant and, you know, we weren't having any luck finding you. And, you know, like I said, we're always five bucks or 10 minutes behind and whether that was true sometimes or not. So yeah, it wasn't fun. You talked about your two two year sentence. Um, I don't even know if you know, I was trying to dig it up today, but we had the, well, your mom and I had to write a letter to the judge ask about your sentence. And we pushed for three (laughs) because if you went three, you would have been in the federal system and you would have got, got the uh the detox and rehab and all that and and he uh you probably don't remember but he actually was reading the letter behind the bench and he goes really that's what you want and we both said yes but he relinquished so well uh you know my my lawyer at the time actually and this is you know i haven't talked about this kind of stuff and a lot of people and i hope they never have experience it uh from from my point of view and certainly your point of view as a parent but a lot of people don't know that when you're in that situation lawyers actually they they call it judge shopping so you know they know what judge is going to be working that day in that courtroom and so i remember we had to push it because specifically because that judge his name was uh, greg rideout he was known you know as a hockey fan and and, and different things so my lawyer was like you know we're going to wait for this day because you know you're you know, he's a better judge. He likes hockey and this. And it was like, really, I'm in jail and we're still talking hockey here. Like, I just feel like in Canada, if you're a high level hockey player, even a mediocre level hockey player, like I was, it sort of seems like they're inclined to do you favors. And it seems like you guys were the only ones that were actually pushing for me to get a longer sentence. Yeah. It's not that we wanted you to spend more time in jail, but it was explained to us. Like I said, if you had federal, federal time that you would have got the, the care and help you needed rather yeah. than just serve your time. It's true. I mean, in a sense, it's true. Unfortunately, I know a lot about the jail system now and how it works, but there's also other factors that go into that. It becomes a lot more violent and everything else in the the penitentiary. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad I didn't end up there, but you know, I easily could have. And it's funny. I, you never told me that story. So thanks for letting me know. And I, I understand why you were, I get it. I totally, if you would have told me that while I was sitting in that bench, I would have lost it. But now on the other side, I can fully understand. It's like, Oh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And so what do you say to parents out there that that have a 
a kid, a son or a daughter that's in addiction, whether they were a hockey player or not. If, if people have people come up to you, dad, and been like, hey, you know, what was it like for you? What has it been like talking to other parents? Have there been many come up to you that have kids struggling? Not a lot, but some. I'll, I won't lie to you. There have been some. And there's, you know, there's some local kids, too, that uh, maybe younger brothers and stuff, people you you knew, um, just wanted like you weren't the best example to as for getting you know better soon it's it was a long battle for you and you're still fighting now so they just told them it's you know they're not going to usually first time in rehab it's not going to work you know four five six times maybe you have to be prepared for that and as you're seeing with your friend kevin right now you know there's some, some resistance there even though you say you missed this plane there's a it's it's no different than you were like, like you touched on it in your intro at the airport, like, you know, and then I don't know you probably don't remember, but I finally went, Oh, okay. Cause I, I thought that was going to be a good solution because you couldn't stay here anymore. It was just out of control. The people looking for you, the people you were associating with, plus your access to drugs and things. And so we finally get you on the plane and I'm driving home. And I don't know if you remember this. And then I get a call on my phone and it says YBR security. And it came up like that. And I'm going, I don't know what's happened now. But you had a laptop. Yeah. And it was a better laptop than I had, apparently. <laughs> but you didn't have a charging cord for it. And they said, do you want to come and pick it up? Or we're going to confiscate it. And I said, well, I don't think he's ever had an MacBook. <laughs> because I didn't have one at the time and uh, you can just confiscate it as much as I know why you were taking it back afterwards. Um, but I just thought, no, that's, you know, well, I, I, also, I, I honestly didn't want to go back to the airport. It's, it's like one of the things, you know, I, I do a lot of flying when I scout, not lately because of the COVID, but every time I go to the airport, I'm, you know, I'm flying a lot domestically, sometimes internationally, but, it's the same bathroom, same thing. Same as, like I said, when I drive by the um, pre-trial and so place. Do you think you're ever going to get over that? Like, what if I'm sitting here 10 years from now and, you know, I haven't had another charge. I've been sober 10 years. Do you think that you're going to be over that? Or is that something that is going to be with you for the rest of your life? Well, I think the memories will be there, but I'll, I'll, I'll be over it. Yeah, sure. That's <laughs> It's it's you, it's you that has to deal with it now. Like uh, you know, we I don't have control. I never really did, but I don't have control. You're on the right path now, and you stay on that path. It'll be great. Well, and okay, well, let me ask you this. So, from all the times, I mean, the first time you dropped me off at rehab, I think I'm, I don't know, 22 years old, maybe 23, 20, somewhere in there. Uh, for actually, first time detox, I think 21 up in Kelowna, and so. Do you notice anything different now than any times in the past when I've been, you know, trying to get it together? I've never made it this far for one, but take that out of account. Do you actually notice anything different in my behavior or what do you see? Well, I think you have some interests and um, people in your lives that are, are helping you and good for you, like the kids and, and um, Taylor and, and obviously Susan is a big part there and your podcast and 
you didn't really have any plans. I mean, you had some pretty decent jobs out here, like good paying jobs that, that you know, you didn't stick with and just let it slip away and the drugs kept getting in the way. So, yeah, I think you're a little more focused now, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's one day at a time. Sometimes, sometimes one moment at a time. And it's, you know, for anybody listening out there watching, uh, I did a video earlier today, just, you know, on Instagram, just to share how I was feeling because like, you know, people, I get these messages and these people comment and they're like, Brady, and I don't mean to, this is just the truth is Brady. Thank you. You know, I've gotten a couple in the last couple of weeks that they've actually, you know, they should make me feel better, but I still am not feeling great about where they're like, Hey, you know, because, you know, I listened to you and you put your skates back on, I'm back on the ice or I'm back in my rollerblades. I thought I, I had another one today. And it's like, I always get back to them and I'm like, Hey, thanks. And everything else. But at the same time it's like i'm not i don't allow it to really register and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily because you know it's still i feel like i still am pushing against resistance here and i'm not i don't know what it is even when the things are going the best they've ever gone for me i still have this you know um I don't want to use the analogy of a dark cloud because everybody says that, but it's really the truth. And I was talking about with Michael Landsberg last podcast and he goes, goes through the same thing. So I think there's a lot of people out there that suffer from mental illness. And I want to ask you, cause I've never even talked to you about it really, but I know that you are, you're now retired fireman of, you know, you were, I said 30, but I knew it was 35 years. I don't know why I said that like a month ago and you're like 35, by the way. Um, but I knew that 35 years uh, out in the district of North Vancouver. And you probably could, you think you could still be working? Were you planning on still working right now? Or was this the plan to retire? Well, I had to go this year. Anyhow, last year, I have, would have had to retire at 60. I'm 61 now, in case you forgot. But, oh yeah, uh, 60. I thought it was 65 you had to retire. No, no. no 60? Okay. We have to do it 60. So I could have worked three more years when I when I did. But 38 years is a long time. And 38? I, I would have worked 38 instead oh, of 38. Okay. So uh, 35 was fine. And I mean, like I was busy in the uh, local union and the provincial union and the international. So I was busy. And then I decided... All, all the group that I um, started with, there was nine of us, and there was two of us left. Most had gone three, four years before I did. And I just wanted to stay one more year and not be involved as the union president or the provincial vice president. I just wanted to be a captain and and have some fun for the last year. And it flew by, and then I sometimes I wish I would have stayed, but it's really good now. Like, it's it's. <laughs> I, I just miss the 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 guys just like hockey and the, you know the dressing room thing same as the fire hall but it's um you know we get together once a week and um i'm the rookie out there now there's a guy junior to me now so that's good <laughs> but there's there's people out there who have been retired 30 years wow retired at 30 so that would be a good gig if i could get 30 years retirement i'd be pretty happy 
That's pretty, that'd be awesome. I, I really hope you do, Dad, because I got lots that we need to do still. Um, I want to ask you, though, about your mental health and how you've, you know, managed it through everything that you've gone through, because, you know, you've never shared any of this with me. And, you know, I'm not putting you on the spot if you don't want we're live where, yes, people are watching and listening. I don't want to bring it up. But, you know, the more that I've thought about it and I talked to grandma, rest her soul, your mom, who was a, a lifesaver for both of us at different times, right? Uh, without her, you would, you, there's no way you would have been able to survive at different times, uh, just with how much she helped with us and everything else. But when you have to see everything, like I never really put it together. Like, you know, sometimes I felt like maybe you were cold or maybe this when you come home from work. But now that I'm 33 and I'm older, I'm like, and I, you know, I've talked to Matt Thompson, who's a, a close friend of mine. I was living there while he'd come home from car calls. He's a volunteer fire department and have to see different things. And I could see how it affected him on a daily day, day to day basis. Like how much did you do like, stress counseling or take advantage of the resources inside the fire department because I never heard of you doing it ever. Did you ever take advantage of those? And the reason why I'm asking is because you told me about a month, maybe two, I lose track of time that you're interested. I don't know if you started taking a course to help with this in the fire community. Okay. Well, I always was a um, post-traumatic stress debriefer for different departments so in when it first started if there was a bad car accident or a death or something in in let's say coquitlam or something the first theory was they would bring in some outside people just to come and talk to the people that were involved and and i did that with i don't know for a couple three years and then i i it was wasn't very good for me to hear more than what i was already seeing and doing in my own job so I stepped away from it for a while. When was uh, this? Uh, well, it's probably 20 years ago now. Okay. But then, but then um, when we, uh, my last few years on the provincial board, we really started uh, pushing the mental health side of things for first responders, both police, fire, and ambulance. And um, it's really taken off now. Um, it, it's like there are, there are in-house programs in every fire department. I'm sure it's in police and well, I know it's an ambulance. But uh, did I take anything? Um, yeah, I've talked to different different doctors at times. And then when you were going to, uh, through all your stuff, and this is how small the world is, I pick a guy out of the phone book, just who does it out of his house in Coquitlam, and I walk in. And it's a guy whose son used to play with you and I used to coach and he's the psychologist. So it, wow. was, it was hard to um, open up, but he was fine and it was good. So I went, I don't know, half a dozen times and he was good to me. And he says, as long as you're not going to do yourself in, I think you're on the right track. So Were you ever there? Was I ever that far? No. 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 Okay. Well, that's, I'm glad to hear that because that would have been, you know, I, I hope you would tell me the truth in that question. <laughs> but I mean, was there times where you had, you actually had like given up where you'd just been like, you know what, this is the way my son's going to live for the rest of his life and there's nothing I can do. <clears throat> I don't know if it's give up, but yeah, it's, it's throwing a towel kind of thing because um, everybody in your family on both sides and, and yeah, on both sides. And then 
tried to do and i mean there's there's things you probably don't even remember that you were doing where i would i spend a whole weekend looking for you in golden ears park yeah oh yeah i remember i remember everything dad like there was times and i'll be honest you know there's times when things i would say were true no doubt there were times when their things were true but then there was also times where i would lie to to whatever to get money or to get try to this and what i didn't realize at the time was really how much of effect it was having on you and we discussed this on the, the last time you were on and i mean that some of my biggest regrets you know pushing the stress on you um you know you're not a, exactly a young man anymore and um you know it's been a big uh it's been you know it's been nice to actually go to sleep every night and and know that you know i haven't put my dad through hell um for quite some time now i mean it hasn't been that long let's be honest i still you know it's still pretty early but i'll tell you when you're living in that addiction you know nothing you know nothing really matters except for that next high especially when you're addicted to opiates and it's such a for anybody that's never been addicted to an opiate i mean we talk other drugs yes alcohol cocaine they're you know a drug is a drug in my book really um but the hold that an opiate has on on somebody at, at least on me uh is is unexplainable it's something that i i never wish upon my worst enemy and so you know these things that i did to you um things that you know not being there for my kids uh you know it's brooklyn's birthday and it's just yep. it uh it's unbelievable now that you know i'm on the other side of it uh it I, you say like, Hey, you probably don't remember these things. And maybe I don't, you know, collectively remember everything off the top of my head, but certainly when you bring them up, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I pulled some shenanigans for sure. The lies uh, about everything uh, that you can imagine when you get desperate, you start to grasp at straws. And unfortunately for family members, uh, it's, you know, they're usually the first ones that get hurt, that get taken advantage of, that get lied to um, until that can't happen anymore. And that is when you find people on Hastings and Surrey and everything else, when all the other resources are exhausted uh, and nobody is left to take from or use or abuse. Uh, you, you migrate to places like that and... You know, I remember you taking me down there as a kid. I specifically remember, like, I don't know why the hell we were walking through Pigeon Park, but I was a kid. I swear to God, we walked through Pigeon Park and you were like, you know, like, take, you know, if you don't go to school, if you don't do this, you, you know, this is where you're going to end up. And I, you know, I wasn't really that scared because I was with you. I'm like, I'm with my dad, doesn't matter. But I remember seeing, you know, everybody. And, and again, it happened at 18. I got pulled over down there, you know, and I, you've heard me tell this story. And for people that haven't heard, I'll quickly say it is, you know, I got pulled over. Me and my friend Anthony were down the back alley. It was called Blood Alley. It's actually a real place in Vancouver. You could probably Google it. It'll come up. It's a, it's not the name of it, but it's the name of it. And we were down there as 18 years old. as in my Ford Ranger. We went down to uh, smoke a joint you know and which i no longer do by the way everybody listening i'm two months no cannabis which is great and i feel uh really good about that um but at the time 18 and we drive down there and so on the way home we're at canada place we drive and i'm driving and me and anthony in my little two-seater truck and we're like yeah let's go down the back alleys and check this thing out because it's really it's crazy like for anybody to go to vancouver it's just it's unbelievable that this place exists and so i remember going through the back alley and all of a sudden boom i get the 
sirens come on the lights come on heart stops i'm like holy shit wasn't really doing anything wrong i wasn't scared i was gonna go to jail but it's still that feeling especially at 18 and the cop comes not not roll down your window what are you guys boys doing looking for a date or looking for drugs and i'm like uh neither sir like i'm a i'm a western hockey league player my gear is in the back and i'm pointing to the gear and he flashes like sees my swift current bronco bag or whatever was back there i was like right before i was going to swift i saw the bag or whatever and so then he's like you know if you think you're above this you're not you keep coming down here you'll get you know you'll end up down here and i'm like that'll never happen to me the cockiest little like that'll never happen to me he's like i'll never he leaned right in put that light right in my eyes he's like if you think that you're above this he's like we have a pro hockey player down here right now with one arm and from uh you know from intravenous drug use and i was like never gonna be me like you know forget it he's like yeah you boys have a nice night and you know fast forward you know eight years later seven years later there i am luckily i have both my arms um but it's just it's unbelievable and so when you're walking a kid my me as a kid down there like would you have ever thought that i would have ended up down there of all places no not at all not in the slightest but you know it just spiraled out of control and there was not much anybody could do to stop you from going there i still don't know how you ended up there but that's a story for another day. That's going to be in my book. Dad. You can write the foreword for sure. So, um, yeah, I always thought, you know, you could be, you could write a book called hockey dad to hell and back. I swear to God, your stories would be better. Your book would be better than mine. I swear. Um, That's what Gary Joyce said. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's true though. Your book would be better than mine because you, like you said, you remember, uh, all of the real crazy things that I've done where maybe I've forgotten. So we're going to have to, probably you know come together for that project and i'm really looking forward to getting that book done and, and i've written different things at different times but you're you're a talented writer you've you know that's people say oh brady you can write you can do this and i feel like maybe i got a little bit of it from you i don't know are you still writing these days at all or what do you a little bit yeah a little bit but you read you read a lot i read a lot yeah oh and by the way thank you i don't know if people could see it these pucks um my dad sent me some books uh mike danton's book uh the code that's gary joyce's book right there dad and uh a couple of my game my game pucks unfortunately i lost my first whl goal puck which which sucks but it is what it is we move on there's there's lots of good memories still there and uh you know thankful for all the jerseys this jersey is the one that you sent me that you took out of the big case that i was like why did you take it out of that case but i'm glad you sent it anyways i'm just happy you have that case still because it's the pro this for people that don't know, is the very first Swift Current Bronco jersey with that new logo on it. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But they've since changed it, or do they wear that logo? Yeah, they're back to the old one now. Old, old one before you. Yeah, I like that one anyways. So what's going on with the Saskatoon Blades, Dad? You're, my dad's a scout for the, the Saskatoon Blades. What's, uh, what's scouting life like these days with the rinks and everything else? Are you allowed to go as a scout or no? Uh, well, no, they're all in kind of bubbles everywhere. Like in the Eastern teams are in Regina. They're all staying at the University of Regina and and playing at the Brandt Center. So Saskatoon's played three games. They just lost in overtime just moments ago. I was just watching uh, below here, and uh, they won the first two. So they're pretty good. You guys have you guys have a good team this year? Yeah, but. There, yeah, there's some good players. Next year will be the year for them. 
No Kirby Doc? Or is he there? His brother's there. His brother's there. That's right. brother's there, yeah. Who's oh, better? There. Who's better? I know you can't say, but who's better? Kirby well, Doc. Right now we can say Kirby because Kirby's in the NHL. How's that? Yeah, what about Connor Bedard? How yeah, good he is a, as a as a Bantam. Obviously, he scored two goals in his first WHL game, which is... He was scored that? against us the other night, too. So, Wow. Is he the best that you've seen since you started scouting? Uh, he's the best shot by far. Nobody I've ever seen shoot like him. Um, and Hockey Canada came out last year to, to watch him. Well, Brad McEwen, who you know and have had yeah. on the show. So he said, you want to come with me and give me your opinion. And I said, well, I've seen him since, like he played Bantam three years. He was playing when he was 13 or whatever too. So um, he watched the first shot and he goes, does he do that all the time? I go, just watch. And he goes, oh yeah, there's no doubt. He's exceptional status. After about a period, he so. But there was four 15-year-olds in the game last night. Wow. Because... Uh, uh, Moose Jaws got one, and then Bedard was in. I can't remember the other ones. And we've got a really good 15-year-old to our first-round pick last year. He's going to be a good player, good defenseman. Tanner Molendike, remember that name. He'll be a good player down the road. Another kid from Burnaby Winter Club, Lazowski. Brandon Lazowski He's a 16-year-old this year. So, As a scout, like as a scout, you go into a rink. If you've never seen any of these kids play before, what's the first thing you're looking for? For me, I start in a warm-up because there's guys like you that would jack around in a warm-up and do different things. But if they're if they're working on things and actually going hard and trying to get the rest of the boys going and things, and then you you can tell who can shoot and who can who can skate in, in the warm-up. If they're just going through the motions, then I'm looking at some other guys. Um, it's a little hard sometimes on the academy teams where – you know, they didn't have those so much when you were you were playing, but now there's you know there's ten or twelve draft draftable kids on each team, so there's you know twenty five or thirty kids in one game, so it's not as easy as it used to. So you actually have to have to see see everybody a lot. What about away from the ice? Are you uh, are you hanging around after the rink to see what these guys are are doing after the game? Are you talking to the parents? What is that I, like? I, I watch how they come in. Like they're usually a, like the parents are kind of separated now. They don't they don't ride home with them. They're, at least at the academy level, they're all on buses. They're all see who's carrying the bag, see who's not carrying the bag, see who's this, see who's that. And it doesn't take long to find out whose parent is is who there. And in all honesty, and it, it it's burnt me before, but I don't have time for a bad hockey parent because then my coach or my GM are not going to be wanting to put up and put up with it. Well, problem. how many, you know, obviously without saying it, how many as, you know, you start scouting there, like how many um, times have you had at the Western Hockey League level or that you've heard of? Uh, of parents like interfering with coaching and and scouting and in, in, in that like has that happened quite a bit more, more than you would think really because um, now these kids have agents at fourteen so now you don't only and and it's above my level um, I mean I talk a lot to agents and things but uh, they're always going well you got to get the coach to play more and I, I don't have anything to do with the coach even though I'm really good friends with the coach. But uh, 
it's not not my level, but yeah, I know some parents stoop to different levels, and and uh, they don't realize that it's it's not a race, and that's what I keep telling kids and the parents. It's not a race. Like you're you're 15, you're, you know, you're probably not going to play a lot unless you're Connor Bedard. Um, you got to kind of work your way up and build the trust of the coaching staff and and get better. Like you got to get bigger and stronger because you're playing against 19, 20 year olds. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a big jump coming out of minor hockey. What about um, kids? Like, you know, I struggled a lot being away from home. Um, you know, how many times I called you threatening to eat a whole bottle of Tylenol and, you know, you had to fly. I remember how many times you flew into a um, couple times. I think you actually flew to Swift Current, uh, well, to Regina or Saskatoon, then rent, had to rent a car and come bail me out, essentially, um, but also to Calgary and, and different places. Uh, is that much of a problem these days? And how much of that aside from me, did you see where kids are actually struggling being away from home? Um, I think they all do at, at some point, but I think, and this is no disrespect to the minor hockey, but the academy kids are more conditioned to play in the league because they're away every weekend unless they're playing a home game, but um, they're in hotels, they're eating their meals together. um, And they really do keep the parents away. Like it's, it's not much different than a Western league team. You know, they might get to meet at Boston pizza or wherever they're eating or whatever, but not too much time where they um, get to see their parents. So, they're a little more conditioned now, but I, I, I don't know anybody who's ever played in the league that hasn't been homesick at one time or another for certain reasons. It could be a holiday or whatever, but just part of being away from your friends and family. Well, and it's part of the sacrifice, I think, you know, and a lot of, I'm glad that you brought brought up, like, you know, mentioning who, you know, who's carrying the bags and, and different things like that, because, you know, I was just on a podcast recently, um, Shout out to Dwayne. He was uh, the host uh, at NDSA Hockey. It's a program out here in London. A lot of guys train there. Curtis Gabriel trains there. A bunch of other guys, junior guys. Great program. And, you know, he, had Bo, he was telling me a story about Bo Horvat was, you know, on the ice with them. He comes and skates with them as well. And, like, you know, captain of the Vancouver Canucks. And after the skate's over, he's the one picking up pucks, putting them in a bucket, you know, where, you know, these younger guys – see that you know this guy's making millions of dollars a captain of the nhl team but he's not above picking up the pucks and helping out and contributing um you know i, th- I thought that was a pretty cool story because i'll be honest i was like the guy that was like ah, no if i don't have to pick up pucks i'm not going to pick up pucks which is the total wrong attitude and i'm okay to say that now um but i think you know the the ranks of of junior uh being a rookie i think you know i had it pretty bad as a rookie i didn't even tell you how bad it really was and i think you know a lot of it i brought it on myself by leaving without explaining why and everything else people just chalked it up to you know me being being a baby or, you know, not being a good teammate or whatever. But I mean, now maybe it's still come with that stigma. Maybe it wouldn't be as accepted as I'm hoping, uh, but definitely had some, some mental illness and depression and different things going on. And so, you know, I just feel like for me, it was, it was like, Oh, okay, well I had to go through it. So you had to go through it until I got to Kelowna where we pretty much me and James McEwen got together and we we're like, you know what? Like there's no rookies. We're not gonna really have rookies on this team. We capped the fining. We kept, you know, still the rookies had to, you know, do the, the normal rookie duties and things like that. But, you know, do you think there's still 
that pecking order, like, do you still see that pecking order in the Western League where, you know, rookies are being treated like rookies or is everybody more on par now? And there's because I re- I hear there's less hazing and less everything else. I mean, there's still always give you that normal stuff. But what about fines and different things? Like, do you still hear about this stuff in the Western League, like guys getting fined? I don't really hear about the fines. And, and in my experience, it, well, even my last year in Swift Current, where it was a pretty good club. I mean, it was an older group by the end. Not a ring, by the way, right? Not your last year? Where's your ring? Yeah. It's over here. I can dig it out for you if you want. <laughs> well, I never got one, so hell yeah, let's see it in a second um, here. But uh, the way I see it now with, uh, like, I haven't been around our team this year, but last year when, you know, training camp and that and the, the captains and leaders that were there, they went and help the rookies like just like you're talking about for hat or that and they kind of went yeah this is what you do or you know we're gonna do it so it's just uh like uh in the fire department when there's a volunteer event for muscular dystrophy or whatever well if the captain's at the top of the list or the chief one of the chiefs has signed up to volunteer then you pretty well know that you should be following following and then i see that more now than guys just throwing their bag there or throwing their sticks on the ground and, you know, pick them up or whatever. And yeah, I don't, I don't see it uh, the way it used to be. I think uh, coaching staffs have a, a real tight leash on things. And I, I think the league does. Uh, I think all leagues do. So I think it's a, a much better place for younger guys. Well, and I, I hope so because, you know, I just know that it, it can be really nerve wracking for, for young prospects to come up, uh, even in practice, all of a sudden the passes are coming harder. There's more chatter on the ice. Everybody's bigger, stronger, faster. And, you know, there's a young kid, you know, I know I was squeezing my stick a little bit harder, worried about giving a, a a pass in the guy's skates when really at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe if you keep doing it, yes, you're at an elite level, you should be putting pucks on the tape, but listen, everybody's going to make a bad pass every now and then. So being able to just be comfortable instead of being ripped on, I know like there's, you know, sometimes it's fun to rip on, you know, if you guys are on a win streak and everything else, somebody makes a bad pass. It's different. Everyone's like, ah, it's kind of funny, but if you're just coming up and especially if the team's losing or, you know, your, your job isn't really, you know, you're not a top line, not paying power play and guys are ripping on you. It, doesn't make it very much fun to go to the rink. So that's why I brought that up. And what I hope is that anybody watching, listen, coaches, uh, especially at, at any level, uh, it's building that culture within the room uh, where, you know, every it's a team and everybody needs to, you know, pull their weight, but nobody's more important than the next guy. And um, I know Sandra's watching right now. She shared a story too, because uh, we have these puck support warrior meetings and she talks about it all the time where, uh, you know, she was setting up for an event in a rink, kind of like a mental health event uh, in the OHL. And, you know, there's the teams all standing there after the game. She's unloading all these boxes and boxes and boxes uh, to her car. And there was only like one guy that out of the whole team that offered to help carry stuff for this lady to her car. And after she left, uh, one of the NHL scouts who she knew, like, called her and was like, Hey, who is that kid? Like, do I, you know, cause they noticed that kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. I'm glad that, you know, when I asked that question, you went exactly where I wanted you to go with it. And we didn't even t- cue that up. We didn't go over anything before the podcast. It worked out perfectly because I think there's a, a huge aspect that parents are missing 
about you know getting their kids ready uh, to become a pro. And once you t- go to major junior, you're a pro. You you're expected to act like a pro. Uh, and uh, it sounds like the academies are doing a much better job. But do you ever feel like it's too much for these kids? I think the uh, not so much the academies, but the the over and above where kids are playing year round now. Maybe the games are fun, but they they all have skills coaches, skating coaches, mental health coaches, um, dietitians, and things like. Just have some fun. It's again, it's not a race. Like if you're good enough, they're gonna find you. Yeah, and it may not be when you're 15, 16 years old, but uh, you know, there's been a lot of guys I've connected with over the last year that were kind of late bloomers. Some guys are late bloomers that are still playing that were never even half as good as some of the guys yep. I've played against, right? And it's a it's a really good point. Um, what do you remember going back to Brooklyn's birthday? We're kind of going back. Um, do you remember the day she was born? And um, you know, I played my last Western Hockey League game. Uh, you know, and Seriously, we had her the next day. Uh, it was March 16th. was my last regular season Western Hockey League game in Kelowna. Uh, we had her the next day, and you know, I think I was home for a day and a half. And I, I can't remember. Did you and I fly back to Kelowna, or did we drive to the awards banquet? Did we drive? Uh, there's a bit of a story here because you were late for the flight as usual, or to get ready for the flight because you were spending time with your new daughter. That's right. So we flew back because I wanted to, you know, it's your last thing in Kelowna. So you probably don't remember this part, but we parked it right beside the, the entrance to the airport, the drop-off zone. And then when I got back, my parking bill for 24 hours was like $400 or something. They didn't tow me or whatever. They should. I just, <laughs> I just explained the situation and said that my son borrowed my car and took a flight and he parked it here. I didn't know where he parked, which was kind of a little white lie, but uh, Did if you? we didn't park there, we wouldn't have made the flight. So I do um, remember. Yeah. Did you pay the $400? No, I had the $27 or something. So. Oh, for once, I didn't cost you hundreds of dollars because I was late or, or lying about something. So that's kind of funny. But yeah, uh, it was pretty crazy. Uh, I just remember... Um, what were you thinking as a, after everything I'd gone through, I quit, I had come back, I had, you know, uh, another situation similar. And then all of a sudden, um, it's, you know, what were you thinking at that time? Like I was the only guy in the Western league to have one kid, let alone two that year. What was your thoughts going through your mind? Well, for sure. The only one with two, um, just, it's again, it's nothing that I could control. It just, I mean, yeah, I don't really know what to think. I was excited to meet her and all that, and she was a really nice little girl. And it was, I remember, I thought you had one more game in Vancouver because I thought, thought your grandma showed up and had baby clothes at the rink. No, that was before. That was, was before, before that happened, and that's what that's what let the cat out of the bag. So like, you know, people didn't know that that. Uh, that Brittany was pregnant, um, at least not many people. And I remember um, about eight, you know, I think it would have been like February 17th or something, Ryan Huska. Um, he's now in Calgary, Dad? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was acting head coach. I believe he's assistant coach of the Calgary Flames. Was the head coach in uh, in Kelowna at the time, Jeff Finley. I'm not sure where he is now, uh, but, you know, longtime NHL defenseman, St. Louis Blues, I think a couple other teams there, assistant coach. He's- He's scouting his kid just got drafted to the NHL. 
Okay. All right. See, this is, you're more in the loop than I am. And so they, they called me in and I'll never forget it. And they sat me down and I was like, man, I'm playing pretty good right now. Like, why do they want to talk to me? Like maybe they, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on. What did I do now? I didn't do anything wrong while I was in Kelowna. And they're like, so Leo, um, when's the baby due? And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? They're like, we see, we see, we saw Brittany in Chilliwack or Vancouver, wherever it was. Uh, and unless she's got a balloon in her stomach, uh, we could tell she's pregnant. That's exactly what he said. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, he's like, why didn't you tell us? And I just explained to him, I'm like, look, I didn't want to be a distraction for the team and, and everything else. And uh, they're like, well, we've known for the last four months. So we were just letting you, you're playing good. So we didn't want to put any extra pressure on you. But um, any other kids that you know of have babies in the Western League since then? Not off the top of my head. There's some before you. Yeah, well, it's Saskatoon Blade for sure. I know that. Um, I don't know if he still works for the team. He was working for the team when I was in the league, and he was one of their better players. I won't out him on the podcast. But he had a kid. I know because I remember I used to chirp him about it, and maybe you should eat your words before you start saying anything. Not that I regret it by any means, but it was just sort of funny how it works. So um, definitely a wild ride, wasn't it, Dad? It was. And it, it, came to an abrupt end and when your Western League was and then when career was over that was quick and well I was I don't I think we talked about it before but your game seven was in Seattle um, in the playoffs and I'm driving down to Seattle to see game seven and my friend Bruce phones me and says can you get Brady to Victoria tomorrow morning and I go well why would he be going to Victoria tomorrow morning he goes well if we lose they want him and they have to finalize their roster by tomorrow and i'm going well i haven't even asked him and he goes does he want to go i go well, this is the first i heard of it and i don't even know if they talked to you about it or no they didn't say a word to me until after i mean i was in tears um after you know i played my i played my ass off that series i led the entire first round in goals six goals in seven games i mean i had some pretty good line mates mind you I had good good teammates of course uh but i was really upset and i remember being 16 as a call-up in swift current i'll never forget dustin Friesen, davin heinz uh and forget the other 20 year old aaron richards maybe uh at the time and they were crying and looking around the room and they're like gave the speech like oh your junior career is going to go by so fast and um you know make sure you enjoy it and me and hangy sitting there going yeah uh we got like four more years here don't worry about it and then all of a sudden in a blink of an eye um there i am doing the same thing and bruce hamilton pulled me aside and said so you want to go play pro hockey and i'm like what like sure like um which you know it was a beautiful thing i mean i i had found some early success in victoria but i i did miss out on the year-end party not that i cared about the party but i never really got to say goodbye to my teammates um that year and a lot of them i never saw again so um trying to catch up and, and connect with some of them now has been nice um but did you notice that was there a difference in my play before we wrap this up? I mean, we'll go a couple more questions. I think there's some questions coming in. Uh, we'll get to a couple questions from people here. Uh, but was there a difference? Like, did you notice a difference in my skill level or my ability from the time I was 16 to the time I was 20? Well, sure. You wouldn't have played till you were 20 if you didn't get any better. <laughs> yeah, you were. Um, you found another gear and some more dangles. Yeah, you were. And you had that chip on your shoulder that 
I remember sitting, um, it might have been in Seattle in the series, earlier in the series with a bunch of the NHL scouts and they go, oh, your kid's going to get something. Your kid's going to get something. And yeah, so, I mean, you wouldn't have been able to sign an American contract if you weren't good enough. Yeah, well, I, I just, you know, there's, I think, you know, for any parents out there and, in, in, you know, players listening, you know, in junior, if you're, you know, not drafted, um, you know, I really shot myself in the foot. I think if I would have went to Everett, I would have had a pretty good chance that year to go somewhere. Honestly, I you laugh, but you well, look. I laugh because that's an unbelievable story that you didn't go. You got your dream team and you got traded there. I know. And then I thought Kevin Constantine was coming through the phone at me. I know. Jack Adams, a coach award winner, and I get my friend to pretend to be me and tell him I'm not going uh, to Everett. And again, I just was dealing with a lot. Um, Mind you, I'm not blaming you because you have work and you had your union stuff. You were in in Victoria at the time and uh, weren't able to drive. If you were there, I probably would have went. But then again, I wouldn't have played in Kelowna. I wouldn't have played with all those great players in Kelowna. But uh, things would have been different. I, I remember Kevin Constantine just saying, you know, like, you're going to come down here. Uh, you could play with Mueller or Hamill or Fiala. I think those were the three best players. Top six right away. He's like, I'm going to teach you a side of your game that you don't even know. It's called defense. And uh, <laughs> teach you how to block shots. And I think that's something that, you know, that's like if people ask me what's my biggest regret with hockey is that, you know, not finding a way to carve out my own sort of role. Like I always wanted to score goals and be a playmaker or whatever. And I was sort of kind of good at it. But if I would have been able to put that with, you know, becoming taking, you know, pride in blocking shots or being the best penalty killer, being the best along the wall. Those are the things that make people get to the next level and stay at the next level. And so, you know, you have your McDavid's and your Ovechkin's and all those guys, those guys are few and far between, but then you go from your third and fourth line guys. I mean, they're, they're interchangeable with anybody in the American hockey league. I don't care what anybody says. The American hockey league is so, is so much better than people even think. Um, but it's those guys that find a way to do all the stuff that nobody else is really willing to do and work on all the stuff that they're not great at. I was always the guy you know, practicing the stuff I was good at so I could get even better at that because I liked the way it made me feel. If I was good at something, didn't like it when I was not so good at something. And that's the difference between be- becoming a good player and a great player. So uh, there are a couple uh, questions coming in or comments. Um, I think Taylor's watching. Hello, Taylor. How are you? Um, let's see. Uh, David Carlson was watching. Hello, Brian Brady and everyone. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. David, thank you for watching. Brian White out here in Gravenhurst. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Will McIntyre. Hello, Will. Happy St. Patty's Day. Um, Dale Classen, hi from Citadel Heights. Congrats on number 100, my dad's neighborhood. Do you know who that is? It's your neighbor, Dale Classen. Hey, Dale. Welcome to Citadel Heights. That's uh, pretty cool. Um, Paul Rosen, how's it going? Um, Taylor is watching. There she is. Uh, Taylor and uh, David saying hi to each other. Um, Elena. Uh, I believe Elena is the one who drew the picture behind me out there in Germany. She's uh, 
uh, connected with Curtis Gabriel and uh, Pride Tape, which is a really cool story. Um, and that's the picture. She sent me the original, which is really nice. Uh, hey, Brian, you have raised a great man and an even better person. He has a heart of uh, gold and love for everyone in his heart. Um, thank you, Lucas. Uh, that wasn't always the case. That wasn't your thoughts, was it, Dad? Like, did you know that? What did you think of me before all this happened? Like, you knew me from, from being, uh, you know, obviously from day one. Uh, what was I like as a kid? Did, was I always these things that people are saying or what was it really like? You had a chip on your shoulder for sure. Um, yeah, you were just, you were a little hard to handle sometimes here. You ran to your own beat. <laughs> but what was I like? Was I, was I thoughtful? Was I generous? I remember well, you were always, always nice. all the time. I remember giving my stuff away all the time. You'd get me something, someone like it, and I'd just give it away. And I'd be like, okay, well. But yes, I did run to my own beat. My, For sure I did. And uh, I thought I had these other pictures loaded up um, of me as a baby. But I guess I... I guess spend I, the day and you send you all your pictures. But here, there you go. Can you see that? No, lift it up higher. What's, oh, there's the ring. It's You don't even wear it? It's in a case? Why would I wear it? Does it open up at least? Can you get it out? Oh, over. I can't see it. Lift it up higher. Over, over. There you go. Upside down. There you go. It's the only ring the Leave Old family's ever going to get unless I get into coaching and maybe uh, get one. Yeah, we, might, we might get one next year. Who, you? Saskatoon? Sure. Why not? Did you guys get the same ones as the players or did they downgrade it? No, exactly the same. That's really nice. That's really nice. That Swift Kerr did that all. How many years were you with the Broncos there before you guys won a championship? 18. That's it? It only took 18 years? I guess when you're with an organization that long and then you you know, you know get you get more opportunities. But uh, that's pretty cool. I was really proud of you when that happened. I know that um, a lot of hours, Dad, a lot of hours in the rink. Um, yeah, just wow. Um, yeah, there's Elena says it's me. For me to listen to your dad, I put my parents through hell when I was a kid, and I live with the feeling that I will never be able to compensate them for the pain I gave them. And I, you know, I know exactly how that is. Um, it's, you know, but it's not about compensation. It's just about having a good rest of your life. Well, and and thank you. And I, I think you know, even trying to move forward with that, dad, it's not always easy to to think back and I, you know, I know how that is. I, I just look forward to, to good days ahead. Um, Michelle Polino says some days it's one second at a time. That's right. Um, David Carlson says it would be great, a great collaboration to have both of you team up on the book. Definitely a bestseller. What are you taking your hat off for? I'm getting hot. Well, actually I had my hat off. At the I, yeah. of the podcast. I was like, that's a bad salad. You should probably wear your hat, but I was going to go, um, you know, because I'm growing my hair out. I'll go no hat, too. It looks like you're losing your hair, by the way. What the hell is going on with that? Are you going bald? No, just gray. Just gray. Me, too. Uh, we're both going gray, so that's all right. Um, yeah, you know what? There's a potential there. I don't know about it being a bestseller, uh, but I think it would definitely be an interesting read for sure. Um, Dean Smeal, Stan Smeal's uh, brother. That's what people say about Stan. He was better than me because he made the NHL. Ha ha. About Kirby Doc's brother. Uh, and while I have that up, uh, Dean's become a good friend of mine. Hello to Dean out there uh, in uh, St. Paul, Alberta. And I have a picture of him and his daughter in Puck Supports, which is really cool. So um, your daughter sent me a nice message today. Um, 
So hello to you and the family and uh, the kind words are much appreciated. Uh, Dean, thank you for your uh, friendship. I've appreciated our chats and um, he's been uh, very open with some of the stuff that he's gone through. Uh, Jason Cook, all the way from upstairs in the house. Uh, he says, Brian, in your opinion as a scout, how would you rate Brady as a player? Uh, Be honest. You don't. You yeah. might, you're never nice about it, so you might as well just tell no, it. No, like- you, you were a le- legitimate bantam draft, and then you probably had a chance to, uh, if you would have had a better 19-year-old year, you might have had a sniff in the NHL, but then they cut the rounds down. So, you know, if there was more rounds back then, you might have had a chance. And you did get a sniff in the American League, so they just don't throw those contracts around. You're very skilled, very hard to play against, very yappy, <laughs> and you could skate. I actually had somebody um, say to me yesterday, or not yesterday, sorry, last week in a message, and he never gave me his name. He's uh, some K-Killer or something on uh, Instagram. I, I didn't get his real name, but he played. He told me he played at the North Shore Winter Club. Uh, with Brule and Gauthier and Mike Wilson. And he just said out of nowhere, he said, hey, I saw you on Global. I just want to say I'm you know, happy to see you're doing well. And I wanted to let you know that you were the hardest player I ever had to play against. And I said, really? I don't think I was that hard to play against. Maybe just annoying. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's great. Sandra says, great, great question, Jason. Um, David Carlson says, Brady had some elite skills, no doubt. That was from before. That wasn't even right now. That's old. So, I mean... It, do you remember me putting a lot? Where did it come from? Did I put in a lot of time to, to get hands like I had? I know my hands are pretty good. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I always had a stick in your hand, either with a golf ball or ball or puck. Or, yeah, you, you worked at it all the time. And that's what it takes, right? Anybody wants to get good good at anything. It's just repetition. And I see these kids now, a lot of them are, are grinding on Instagram. And I don't know if it's because they want to become famous on Instagram or if they legitimately want to get at ho- get good at hockey. But I'll tell you what, if it would have been social media times, I would have had a camera. I used to steal my dad's video camera all the time, which we talked about on the Ned Lukasovic episode where we actually got ourselves in some a little bit of trouble, but it was all in good fun. Uh, the OHL has a married player with no children. I think... A first in the CHL coming from Sandra. We yeah, thanks for sharing, Sandra. Uh, um, and says opinion or option. I don't know. I'll have to ask her what she means by that. Bay Bocek says Swift Current Broncos had a married Euro in the 1990s. That's Hangy's old billet. Um, Faye Bocek in Swift Current. Hello, uh, Faye. And uh, Stuart Smith, hey, Brian, what did you shoot today? We got to get together. Take care. I don't know if you saw it, Stuart, but uh, we posted the picture of you early. I'll bring it back up. What did you shoot today? Uh, I was okay today. What does that mean, okay? I was under 100, but oh. over 90. It oh, wasn't that- a great, great round, but it was still winter conditions. So. Yeah, well, I think I was there for your best round ever, to be honest. I'm good off the tee now, and putting's good. It's just in between I got to work on. So. Yeah, well, that's what's that's the beauty of golf. Good to see you, Brian. I have so much empathy for what you have gone through with your son. You can be so proud of him now. Thank you, um, Faye. I appreciate that. Um, Donna Reed, uh, 100. Awesome work. Thank you, Donna. Love you lots. Uh, hope you're feeling well. Um, going to get you some purple puck support. Uh to support pancreatic cancer. That's what she's going through. And that's why we got, that's why we sided with the purple because of Donna. Um, Debbie Overs, your cousin say hi, Brady. 
and Brian. Hello, Debbie, and to all the overs and all the Cherics. Um, unbelievable. I actually want to talk um, to your your aunt, Sheila, um, more about you and, and your dad and uh, your childhood, uh, because I have a lot of questions surrounding all of that. So hello to the Cherics. Do you still see Debbie? I mean, COVID is... Yeah, we've talked. It's just... Uh... It's pretty strict conditions when you want to blend outside your bubbles here. So everybody's, we're thinking we're near the end. So as soon as everybody gets their shot, we'll be inviting them over. Yeah, and uh, I look forward to one day coming home and, and maybe everybody can get together. It'd be it'd be awesome to see everybody again. Um, Sandra Murray says, as a parent that has a son still in active addiction, I thank you both for giving me hope that I too will have a relationship with my 1997 born son. I'm estranged from today. Sandra, thank you for being so open. I know about this. Sandra's become a good friend. She's a big part of puck support. Um, and this is the thing, you know, she's a, this is to show you the power of, of mental illness and addiction is when you know Sandra's in the field this is what she does for a job um, but when it comes down to it once a person is in addiction it has to come from them and Sandra I'll just sit here and tell you that there's nothing really that you can do other than you know say a prayer and, and try to offer support but you know your expertise in the field will not necessarily help him because he's your own son sometimes you have to get that that help from from outside. I know going to my dad was the last person I ever wanted to go to for any of my issues. And that's not because I, you know, was, I couldn't, I just felt like I couldn't because I didn't want to let him down. It's probably the same thing. I think any parent um, and, and, you know, child relationship can sometimes be like that. And I obviously, if I could go back and do it again, I would have just came forward to my dad, but that just goes to show where I'm at today compared to before. And so you can't really say that. So Sandra, just stay strong. And uh, I hope that one day you're in the same position. We are, uh, you two are survivors. Love to you both. Um, Faye Bocek says, yay, Swift Current. Awesome. Um, Matthew means or Brady is a bum. Ha ha. Maybe because of my hair. This is the guy that's down in, uh, South America making hockey sticks become a friend. He's just awesome. Um, Angela Marie, uh, I am trying to share your story and your successes. My son grew up in the hockey and baseball world in 98 born, and I hope your journey can resonate and have meaning with him and his friends and others they know, not just with addictions, but with life struggles in general, as there are many, especially these days, knowing you can always come out on the other side is a strong and meaningful message, not just in the sports world, Happy to have met you, Brady. Small world. Um, thank you, Angela, for watching. Um, Stuart Smith says, me too. I was okay today on the golf course. You guys have to... Uh, yeah, he just tell him to call me. He's he's still busy working. He's old enough to retire, but he's still... Well, I, he, actually, I actually gave him everything I had Swift Current Bronco. That's he, that shirt. Didn't you see the... Uh, yeah. Check out, yeah, check out the shirt. He's in, he's in the yeah. Bronco shirt right there. I gave him jackets, t-shirts, everything when I left. So, because he's from, he played back there, not in Swift, but he did play in Saskatchewan. Yeah, he told me he was a good hockey player. He still is in the Fireman's League. Probably better than me. I'm I'm rusty as hell. I miss the outdoor rinks though. A um, couple more here. Um, 
uh, I need Brady to come to South America and tell these kids the honest truth. And uh, that's Matthew Meanser down there in South America. Thank you again for all that you're doing down there, growing the game of hockey. Just amazing story. I really want to feature him on an episode. He's making hockey sticks from wood that only grows down there. Just unbelievable. Matthew, please email me the pictures so I can at least post them. I keep talking about it. And nobody's seen it yet. Okay, we got Linda Hangen says, Hi, Brady. Brian and Faye, who is uh, Hangy's old Bella. Hello, Linda and Tom. Uh, living out in White Rock now, I believe. So um, nice, nice White Rock, unless they're moved to Saskatchewan to be closer to Mike. I have no idea. I doubt I can't see Tom and Linda. White Rock and I can't see them living in Saskatchewan. <laughs> uh, oh, we got a question. Brian, your opinion on Brady's stash? Told him to lose it and get a haircut. Yeah, but when have I ever listened? So people know, though, that this is this is my mental health mustache. I saw a post December 1st. Just because November is over does not mean mental health issues go away. And I looked at it, and I'm like, you're going to challenge me for a year, are you? Trust me, I'm ready to shave it, but I'm committed. My hair, I'm growing. Uh, I'm going to grow uh, for angel hair. I'm going to donate it to cancer uh, for cancer. Uh, that's why I have the long hair and the mustache. Uh, my dad knows I used to be a pretty boy. There was never a time when I would have had a mustache and long hair and everything else. I'm past that. Um, Tanner Wilshaw out there in Swift Current. Well, he's now moved on to a farm. By the way, Tanner, I'm very jealous. He has a 24-hour rink that is frozen. It's it's refrigerated from the outdoor temperatures, but he, 24-hour access to this rink that is mint ice, and I just can't believe it. Um, it's... Yeah, it's great. So Tanner, hello, another supporter of Puck Support. Check out his podcast, The Final Shot Podcast, former professional fighter uh, and a good friend of mine, Tanner Wilshaw. Uh, thanks, boys. Good stuff. Faye is saying hello to Tom and Linda uh, and Matthew saying, okay, man, we will talk tomorrow. So thank you to everybody for the comments. Um, once I let my dad go, we'll give away this um, tape some way, somehow. I don't know how. Um, is there anything else that you want to cover, Dad, before we wrap up? No, I'll leave something out so you can have me on again. Well, I'm sure. Maybe 150? Are you back on for 150? Every 50 episodes, I'll have to bring you on. Every 50 is good. Okay, that sounds, uh, that sounds awesome. But before I do let you go, I, I really want to just say, you know, sitting here on the other side uh, without trying to get too emotional, it's been, uh, I know it's been really hard on you, and uh, there's nothing I can do to take it back, but for what it's worth, I'm very sorry for every all the lies, all the money, everything. The, the list would go on and on, and there's reasons why I didn't talk about certain things is because I, I do want to share these things in a book um, because some of the stuff that I've done, um, some of the stuff that I've done to you is, is just – it's unbelievable, unspeakable, uh, but it's the power of addiction. And, you know, maybe it will be a bestseller. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I would love to somehow collaborate with you on that book because it sounds like I'm going to need you to remember all the chaos that I was actually living. I'll help you fill in the blanks. Well, I mean, let's, let's, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's actually make a plan and start getting that done. So maybe we can meet once a week and chat for, for some time and start, you know, from, from day one uh, and what that looks like and what you remember, what I remember. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm just so grateful that we're able to actually have conversations. Now we talk, we text um, and we talk about, you know, 
normal stuff, not, you know, hey, can you do this for me? Can you borrow money? Can I do this? And not to say that I haven't asked you for money over this last year, that'd be a lie, uh, but not for anything bad and not not lately, really. So um, kind of turning a, a, a new leaf and uh, I'm just grateful for your support. <laughs> Thank you for everything that you've done um, from from day one, 33, going on 34 years and single dad, who gave me every opportunity to succeed and chase every single dream that I wanted, whether it be wakeboarding, BMX, hockey, you were there and I had such an amazing childhood and I'm really grateful for that. So thank you, dad. All right. You're welcome. Is that hard to hear? You're, you're, you're hard. You're, it's hard to have these conversations with you. I, I feel like, you know, we need to do a better job communicating this and I just need you to know that I love you. And I, I have so much respect. I know that. I, I know, but I have so much respect for all that you've gone through. And I, I, I live my life every single day, you know, trying not only to make you proud, but to make sure that, you know, you never have to go to bed ever again, wondering, you know, if your son's going to die from an overdose, if he's going to get arrested, uh, if he, you know, someone's not going to come up to you and be like, hey, Brady owes me money or he did this or that. Can't promise that people might not still do that to you because there's still people out there that I owe money to. But I'm talking about new stories before I let you go. Do you have any haters out there? Like, are people still doubting me um, to you and, and questioning me to you? I won't ask who, but are there any? No, I can't think of any. No, they're, they're more supportive, like more people than ever who had no idea now have an idea. Well, uh, hopefully it hasn't been too hard on you this whole last year. I know the past was hard, but this last year, um, has it gotten... I know I keep saying I'm going to let you go, but last question. You got to go to bed. I got to go have dinner. Last question, <laughs> Dad. Last question. You can't get rid of me yet. Um, you know, from the time you were on on episode 50 till episode 100, have your feelings towards me or the podcast, or your belief in me or things you've seen, have they changed? Like, has our, to you, have a, has our relationship grown? Um, have you had maybe a little more trust in what I'm doing, a little more faith in what I'm doing? Because to me, it seems like you have. All of the above. You just want to go eat dinner. Are you that hungry? No, no but it's all of the above. Like it's <laughs> like from from zero to fifty, probably not. But from fifty on, yeah, you've you've done a good job. What with the podcast? Like I was with, with I was everybody. Crap. I was crap for the first fifty episodes. Oh. <laughs> I'm just. You never knew where you were going or what you were going to do. You you didn't have a clothing line to bring in some income. You you hadn't really reached out to help anybody even though you wanted to you had a couple and, and now you are you're doing what you set out to do well i appreciate that and you know there's a lot of people behind me and supporting me but uh maybe none more important than you so thank you dad i'm i'm grateful for your support and i love you love you too okay we'll see you on episode 150 let's get that book okay. rocking okay hey listen Tell, tell Kelly and the kids, I say, I sent Brad a message the other day saying, I'm 50, I'm 50 years old with a big kick. So it was kind of funny. He had a good laugh about that. Okay, I talked I'll, to I'll ask him about it. Yeah, ask him about that. Tell him I said hi. All right. Okay. Okay. Talk to you good soon. Night. Good night. All right, guys. That's my dad. Uh, big Bri, as they call him, Believe Senior. Uh, backstory on the Believe Senior. So... Uh, I remember Justin Isaacs, a good friend of mine growing up, former Poco Pirate, shout out to the Porco Quitlam Minor Hockey Association. Um, we were sitting there in my dad's computer room. I think I was like 12 years old, maybe 11, 12, 13, something like that. And 
my dad always had cool gadgets. He used to uh, record rented movies. Yeah, full disclosure, it's illegal, but who cares? It's in the past. And we had every single movie. So my dad had this label maker and we used to have so much fun with this label maker. But my dad had this one label. It said B-L-E-A-V at TELUS dot. I'm not even going to give out his email so he doesn't get random emails. He'd be mad. But his email address. And it's Believe, right? Believe, like Brian Leave. Believe. You know, you see my name, Believe on whatever. So he thought that was hilarious. Justin Isaacs. And we started to call my dad Blevo. Believe, believe senior, believe. And my, then I made my email address B-L-E-A-V-10 at hotmail.com. That was my email address forever. So he's believe senior, um, big Bri. Very grateful, very grateful that my dad and I now have a, a friendship, a father-son relationship. It's, it's one of the greatest gifts thus far of my recovery and all that I've done. And uh, dad, thank you uh, for all that you've done. I know I just said it, but seriously, thank you from the bottom of my heart for, I know you had to walk away, but I know you never gave up on me because if you did, you wouldn't have been out there combing the streets of the worst place in North America looking for me. And I'm sorry that you had to do that. And I'm sorry that I turned my back on you that one day when I did in fact see you, but I'll never turn my back on you ever again. And uh, I can't wait to see you. I, I forgot to mention, you know, we haven't seen each other in four years. Uh, any of my family members out there in BC, I miss all of you. Uh, Dad, I love you lots. Thank you for that. Um, tomorrow, uh, before I go there, you know, Brooklyn and Brody. Wow. I've been asked time and time again not to post pictures, not to talk about them. I understand it's embarrassing. Um, it's it's hard. I know. I know that you know me being in the media, me having a podcast. It's essentially putting them kind of in a spotlight too, or, or letting people know about what their dad really was, who he was, the things he has done. Uh, but I hope that one day they can see me for the things I'm doing today. And uh, I'm sorry that I've been so open, so honest with everything that I've done. I just have not felt any other way to change my life. And so are there some, you know, things that kick back in, in their face and my face because of all this? Yeah, there probably are. I wish I could take all that hurt, all that pain from my kids, all of that bullying maybe that's happening from friends or future bullying or chirps on the ice to Brody as he's playing hockey about his dad being a drug addict or whatever. Because I'm sure it's already happened. I'm sure if it hasn't, it's going to. And it can be hard on the kids. And, you know, I'm sorry that I had to go through what I had to go through. And I'm sorry that I'm putting it all out there and, and it's out in the public. And it's pretty much knowledge that anybody can find and when I write a book it's going to become even more so I'm sorry for that but I'm not sorry because if I didn't do this I didn't get honest and I didn't tell my story there's not a chance I would ever have had a chance to ever be in your lives again I'm never going to give up trying there's no question I don't know what that looks like. I'm trying to be respectful of your mother and, and your guys' wishes right now. 
but there's more that I'm going to be doing to push to at least give myself an opportunity to give you guys an opportunity for when you're ready. Brooklyn, happy 13th birthday. I love you to pieces. I miss you. Once upon a time, you were a daddy's girl. And I hope that we can just have some sort of relationship and you can get to know me who I've, you know, always really been. I was just lost for a while, but that doesn't mean that I didn't always love you guys. And, you know, it kept me in my addiction longer. The fact that I wasn't able to talk to you, wasn't able to see you. I felt like I just wanted to die when I lost contact with you guys. There was nothing left to live for. And ultimately you guys have paid a price for that. And there's always going to be ramifications, but I'm never going to stop trying. I love you. And I hope one day you can see everything for what it is. So Brooklyn, happy birthday. I wish I was able to send you a card. I don't know your address and every letter I've ever sent gets returned to sender. sender. Sorry, that's the honest God truth. But if there's a way that I can somehow get you a gift um, or send you that card, I'd be really, really happy to do so. Um, thinking about you guys a lot lately. And I know Taylor and the kids here are too. We've been talking about it and, and, and talking about what that looks like because we're not sure. But just know that I have enough love in my heart for, for all of you guys. And I have probably higher hopes than what that's really going to look like. But I will never give up. Happy birthday, Brooklyn J. I love you. And I miss you like crazy. Brody, I love and miss you so much too. Tomorrow is a big day. Tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. I have a meeting with some members of the NHL including a top executive from the NHLPA regarding puck support. If everybody could say a prayer for me, uh, you know, just put some positivity out there that I can share my story, share the story of puck support and our vision and our mission in a way that captures them to help them understand that more needs to be done. You know, we're focusing on hockey, but we know that the problems far surpass the world of hockey but this is where i'm focusing my energy and my efforts mental illness addiction in the hockey community so i'm a little bit nervous i talked to brian smolinski today on the phone what a great guy um just an unbelievable man and i'm grateful for his friendship and his support and Really looking forward to hopping on that call tomorrow with uh, eight members of the growth department and the top, one of the executives from the NHLPA. So am I nervous? You're damn right, so I'm nervous. This is the biggest game I've ever played in my life as far as I'm concerned. I don't have any expectations, none. I'm just gonna be myself and tell them the way it is, the way it was for me, the way it is for me, uh, and talk about those that we've lost and what I believe we can all do collectively to bring change and if at the very least i hope that they want to share our story so that could make the world of difference as well um i want to say hello to darren mccarty out there in michigan uh wow check him out on woodward sports he's on live pretty much every day uh he was on the hook today he had Brant Myers, author of Painkiller, on today where he plugged me in and puck support in during that um, episode, that broadcast. D-Mac and I talk all the time. He's become a great friend, was one of my idols growing up. He's now become a brother. 
and uh, I'm just so grateful. Uh, you should be seeing him and his puck support swag here real soon. It was long overdue waiting on that red and white visor, even though I just more or less got it as a joke. Um, I, uh, I think it's pretty cool that my idol has become one of my good friends and uh, he knows this, the parameters of everything that's gone on in hockey, what he's gone through, what people are currently going through and what can be done. And so, strength in numbers like you said today on the the broadcast i'm actually going to clip it and post it on my social media because it's just too cool anytime i see my idol talking about me and puck support it makes me feel good i'm not gonna lie um it's it's one of the cooler things that's happened in the past year there's a couple other things that i am forgetting uh but you know we've been going an hour and 42 minutes i appreciate you guys staying with me if you're listening after the fact please rate and review um Apple Podcasts or whatever, share with your friends. If you if this is the video broadcast, share it on your social media. Let people know what I'm doing. Not because I care for people to watch me. It's more about puck support. If you want to uh, support puck support, you can do so uh, by going to pucksupport.com. Um, also, if you want to get save some money, use promo code Never Forget. You're going to get 10% off uh, your your total purchase. And sales have been fairly consistent. And uh, I love it when people post uh, the pictures of their swag. Just remember when doing so, take a picture of the name, wherever that may be in your hat or in your shirt. Take one with, with it, one without it. But this is why we do what we do. We're remembering all those that we have lost. If you have swag and you didn't know that there's a hidden name in it, check it out you're gonna find one of those that we've lost in memory um on all of our items except for our COVID 19 masks so thank you to everybody thank you to my dad a hundred episodes down i foresee me doing a thousand more five thousand more however long i'm going to be alive i foresee me doing this um for a long time uh, i enjoy doing them it's been a big part of my recovery journey and i'm just very grateful that you guys have spent any amount of time listening to me run my mouth as i always did while i was playing hockey and you know you heard it from my dad i never shut up on the ice i was uh voted most hated player in the western league a couple years in a row by the players uh, and i'm quite proud of that we didn't get into my my time in the psych ward. I wanted to talk to my dad about my time in the psych ward. Um, Dean Smeal, Canucks are uh, two and zero with my swag on. It's pretty awesome. Go Canucks! Go big supporters of puck support. Shout out to Jordy Ben and Tyler Myers and all my buddies there on the Canucks. Love to see the Canucks doing well. Uh, that's my hometown team. Dean, thank you for all your support. Uh, I'd love to see a picture of uh, you with your in memory of. Uh, I can't remember who I put in there. I believe Rippin might be in one of your uh, items. Maybe not. I think I think so, though. Um, remember, Derek Bugard tonight. We think of him. We think of all those we have lost. I do want to give away a, uh, a roll of pride tape. Um, if anybody can tell me uh on the comments just the first one where are my dad scouts what team does my dad scout for 
what team does my dad scout in the Western Hockey League for? I'll send you a roll of pride tape. Compliments of pride tape. We'll see if anybody answers. Uh, I know it's a slight delay. We'll see who... Uh... Anyways, maybe nobody knows what team my dad scouts for. We'll give away two rolls. I was playing with this label. I ha I do have a new one, so it won't be all beat up. There you go, Dean. Dean Smeal. That's right. Oh, you know what? It actually was Stuart Smith was the first one. But you know what? I'm going to send... We got four answers. I'm going to send Dean and Stuart um, rolls. And you know what I'll do? Uh, I know Faye... I'm going to send out a bunch of rolls of pride tape because I have a whole bunch and I have more coming. So, um, Dean, you're going to send you one. Stuart, I'm going to send you one. Um, Debbie, I'm going to send you one. That's my dad's cousin. I'm, I'm sending my dad another shirt. <laughs> Susan's yelling it now too. We had, uh, we had multiple people join in. Thank you, Susan from upstairs. Um, I'm going to send out four rolls. Uh, because you guys all participated. Debbie, I'm going to send it to my dad um, in his package out there. And maybe actually, uh, Stuart, yours as well. And then when you go golfing with my dad, it'll give you guys an excuse to get together um, to show my appreciation. Dean, I'll send you one out too. Um, and Faye, thank you for all that you do. Shout out to Faye Bocek, hooking me up with ketones. Um, feeling amazing. My headaches are virtually gone. I'm sleeping a lot better. Uh, anybody that wants to check that out, get in touch with her. Uh, Faye Bocek on the comments. I post it all the time on social media. Um, so check it out. Thank you all for watching. Sorry for blabbing so much at the end. Darcy Rhoda coming up soon here on the podcast. And Michael Landsberg is going to be back possibly this Sunday. Possibly this Sunday. Um, to interview me on Hockey to Hell and Back. Arguably the most successful uh, sports show in Canadian history and one of the icons here in Canada, especially surrounding mental health issues. Michael Landsberg, new friend of mine. Looking forward to that. Check him out. Hashtag SickNotWeek, SickNotWeek.com. And please follow me on social media at Mental Health Hockey. Follow at Puck Support. And if you want to support Puck Support, which, where we have purple stuff now too, PuckSupport.com. Thank you all for watching. Going to leave you with First Star Therapy promo. You guys are looking for a competitive edge uh, in your game this is what you want to do. You want to get connected with First Star Therapy, my friend James Gardner and Matthew Nane. If you want more information, watch the episode that they were on. I'm telling you, this is game-changing training. We focus so much on on-ice and strength conditioning. Now we bring it together with a holistic approach for mental training. This is what you want to get involved with. I'm telling you right now, you're looking for that edge. You'll find that edge with First Star Therapy. I don't promote stuff that I don't believe in, so just... Just know that I can't be bought. I can't be bought. I only promote stuff that I believe in. I don't get paid for any of this. This is stuff that I believe in because I want to help you guys. Anyways, guys, that's it. Remember, be kind, stay grateful, and have a great day if you so choose.
Rocket to Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at mindframe on Twitter plus mindframefit on Instagram. 